everybody. Welcome to the Don't Be Mad podcast, your weekly dose of the homies kicking back. And this week, we got ourselves a guest. I'm your boy, Matthew, a.k.a. Lefty Lucky, and I'm joined here as always with... Jamali. And Jason. What's up? And as I said, we got a special guest. He's actually going to be running as a part of the People's Party of Canada for the Mount Royal Municipality. One of my good friends for a pretty long time now, Zach Lozoff. Give you a nice little clap it up, buddy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, the way we usually kick it here, we like to start off by asking each other how the week is, how's the mental health. So, as always, how was your week? How was your mental health, gentlemen? Wasn't too bad, you know what I mean? <laughs> way to pry away your, from your phone, Jamali. Yeah, I tried, man. You're on brand as usual. I love it. <laughs> what All about? I could do is try. All you could do is try. Is that how your week was? You've just been trying this week? Damn right. <laughs> this weather got me trying. Because it's been trying me. What about you, Jason? I'm mean, good, man. I can't complain. Chilling. Same yeah. as usual. Yeah, I'm good. Nice, nice, nice. Nice, nice, nice. As for myself, yeah, it's been pretty good too, you know? I feel like I'm officially over the sickness. It's gone. It's purged. It's out of the, the sickness. Yeah. Dude, it wasn't the zombie apocalypse. No, it wasn't the zombie. But like, I was sick. Like, Two weeks ago, I well, got like math, messed up during the is. podcast. Like I started feeling sick, and then for like almost two weeks, it's been like in my system, and now it's like finally going away. <laughs> well, it hasn't okay. gone yet. It's on its way out. Well, I'm still a bit like nasally, you know. It's always, you know, the congestion's always like the I'm last sure thing. I'm sure picnic didn't fuck help. Being you know, out in the cold, it might not have helped, but it was the last one, so I had to go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well. What about you, Zach? How's it been? <laughs> ah, can't complain. Keeping busy, that's for sure. For sure, you definitely are. So um, I don't know how these guys want to kick it off, but I figure I'd just like open the floor to you a bit just to like let people know exactly about your party, about your plans of like running for Mount Royals Municipality under the People's Party of Canada. Like what's kind of the vision, what's been going on with you in this uh, circumstance? Sounds good, bro. I guess uh, I'll introduce myself and we'll take it from there. Yeah. Uh, for all the listeners, my name is Zachary Lozoff, and I'm the People's Party of Canada candidate in Mount Royal. Uh, I graduated from McGill in Health and Social Services Management, and I've been working at a hospital setting for almost 15 years now. I became interested in politics a little later on in life, but uh, quickly took a shining to it. With the opinions I've had as of late, I decided it's time for me to actively try to do something about it. I've experienced in lean management, and I would like to see a drastic cleanup of the federal government to make it run more efficiently with our money. As a founding member of the People's Party of Canada, I'm excited to finally have a platform I can get behind. I'm eager to share it with as many people as I can, and I'm happy to be here. I've known the guys around me for years, and I want to thank you guys for inviting me and giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Uh, do you guys have any questions in particular before we get started, or any format you want to follow, or I, I want know, to uh, suggest if you Jason guys Jamal, want to call. Wanna... Jason's a political analyst. <laughs> <laughs> he's always claiming he's the you know, politics the expert here, yeah, so... Uh, I love it. Mr. Political Science. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. So you guys are just putting everything on me. Okay, I, I get it. I hey, see. this this might be your bag. Yo, get into it. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, what can I ask you specifically about your party? Um, because I understand from well, like I said, we're we're in the outside looking in. So from our perspective, what we see in politics today, we see a lot of people, you know, giving promises and. I promise this if I'm elected. I promise this if I sh if I'm going to be reelected. Blah 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 blah. Okay. Same story and spell we always hear all the time. So it makes a lot of people skeptical on why they should vote for you specifically. What do you think 
your party can bring that's new and original as compared to the other parties? I like it. I appreciate the question, bro. Um, different from the other parties, I think reasonably you could say almost everything looking at our platform, we're known to be drastically different than what all the other parties uh, are offering at the moment. Goes hand in hand with, I couldn't agree with you more that the other parties are out every single day promising more and more uh, things to more and more voters. I think in the last month alone, they've made over $118 billion million in promises just in the past month leading up to the mm -hmm. elections. Um, and I look at those personally as somebody who's into politics and I try to figure out where these numbers are coming from and how we're going to afford it. Some people don't give it the time of day to think about that. They just hear the promise and enjoy it. But I agree with you fully that uh, even looking at the last election and the promises that were made and how many were kept, uh, it's, it's hard to trust a politician. Uh, on the other side of things, when I look at our leader and our platform and you look at a lot of the promises that he made and makes, they're not so much about adding or having more of a fiscal cost. A lot of them have to do with uh, cutting and bringing down the cost of our governments, which I think are much more realistic goals. Uh, hopes for me right now, and if he gets elected, there'll be goals, and hopefully we can pull through with all of them. Nice. That's good. Interesting. All right. I have more questions, so don't worry about it. I have plenty more to come. Hey, man, like, if you want to <laughs> go for it, just go for it. Like, I'm, not, I'm not here to slow down anything. Like, not all, Yeah, exactly. I assume we're going to get into it. Yeah. Uh, the way I sort of saw, I figured, obviously, we could uh, discuss, like, the political landscape leading up to the election, where it's definitely right now and everybody feels. Uh, and then I've got a couple of... Uh, I've got a couple of stats about the economy I'd like to bring up. I have one po uh, policy in particular that I'd like to introduce because it's really important to me. Yeah. Uh, and it leads directly into our foreign policy. Uh, and then I say we get into the meteor yeah, discussions, well, the, I mean, the immigrations, the environmental issues, the climate changes, all the, no, the fun sure, stuff. For, Definitely have time to get Because I was literally that. just going to say straight up, like, what exactly is the thing that you are, are basically making your cornerstone for your running? Because... One of the things we always talk about here when it comes to politics, like outside of just looking at like the country as a whole, but like understanding the importance of your backyard being the thing that you need to focus on heavily when it comes to voting, like your mayors or your municipality leaders, things like that. You know, like obviously the three of us are like NEG boys. You're, you're an NEG boy yourself, but like you're doing your writing in Mount Royal. How do you feel like you can help the people of Mount Royal, even though it's not really like your home base, considering you're an NDG boy? Um, I feel like there's a couple different points packed in there. I hope I hit them all. I liked what you were bringing yeah. up about uh, our own backyards and whatnot. I think in life in general, step one is to clean up your act. And I'm not talking to you personally. I'm talking about me yeah, myself. I'm talking well, to us sure. individually. You, you clean up your yeah. own act, and, and from there, <laughs> you have the power. And when you say that, it doesn't mean... Uh, that these issues are more important or less important or whatnot than world uh, bigger issues. No, for sure. But they do give you the power to become a leader, to to learn yourself and do better for yourself. And as you continue to do better for yourself, you are able to tackle bigger issues, mm. take on more onto your plate at the same time and go into the biggest sort of things. I think what's really important uh, looking at the federal government and the federal aspect is that we elect a candidate in your personal riding so that that is your voice towards the direct leader yeah. in this case or right now or up until now it was a direct link into justin trudeau and for the future it'll be a direct link to the person so hopefully you're electing not only a candidate in your own riding but that'll give you a voice but also a leader that will listen to that voice and listen mm -hmm. to the uh, a candidate an mp in that situation once they are elected and say you know what this he's speaking for a certain area of canada and if this is an issue that's really important to canadians then it's an issue that should be listened to and yeah, that's 
that's the party I'm engaging in. I, I have the confidence that our leader will take it that way. And if I missed any of your questions, sorry. No, no, that's, we'll uh, that's a good else. way to run. I liked what you, how you answered that. <laughs> well, Jamal, you got anything on your mind? No, really, I'm not <laughs> a political person, but I, I mean, that could be a question. Like for someone like myself who see no direct benefit and necessarily participated in this political game, what would you what would you say to voters who like myself who have that mindset who feels like you know their day to day is continuing regardless of who's in power who's not in power you know they're just gonna go with whatever the flow is. Uh, so like a I'll skeptic mind. Yeah, or? definitely. I'll t- well, I'll take your case in particular because that might be a, a constant feeling that a lot of people have of that it not really affecting me that much right. or not at the moment affecting me right. that much. But we look at a government that just went through four years of drastically spending more than it ever has and brought us to a deficit that is almost unconscionable. And in those four years, we didn't really see a drastic raise in taxes. Right. So we haven't been paying off that deficit. So you don't feel it because we haven't had our taxes raised. Right. I don't know if you plan on having a kid anytime nope. ever. <laughs> I personally do. Right. So right now it doesn't affect me. But right. I'm already having a hard enough time putting the money together for me to buy a house. Right. It's going to be exasperated to the max mm-hmm. by the time I have a children. He's old enough to be looking for a house. If he's paying much higher taxes than we're paying right now and nothing gets done about this, housing shortages between a mix of other problems. I, I want the Canada that my kid is able to grow up to one day to be the same Canada that I remember and as great as it was when we grew up, when you and I grew right. up. Oh, yeah. definitely. And that's economically speaking, that's speaking about how I treat you, you treat me. It's speaking in a very general way, but right. but a move towards that is a, definitely the reason I got into politics. And I think that our party is is the one bringing a lot of my values or the values that I've seen in our country back to the table. So, respect that. Cool. Jason, I'm back on the I'm back on the clock. Back on the clock. <laughs> Are we on the clock? No, I'm <laughs> just <laughs> the clock. I know, like you were like nodding. Uh, I figured like you. No, I'm making I'm making a light mood and everything <laughs> like that. So, how about her, bro? No, okay, no. So. I'm gonna get into the tough questions. Yeah. Tough questions. And I Can trust me, I, trust me, I know the difference between um filibustering and all that stuff. So you can't get that you can't get past me. I'm gonna ask you the tough questions. Tough wow. questions. Just ask your Just question. Ask your question. <laughs> have at it, bro. I hope <laughs> I have the answer for you. If I don't, I know then, if you don't, uh, if you don't, you. you don't. You I won't have, be winging it, it, but uh, so I hope I do. I'm the type of person that I'd never judge I would never judge you or any candidate if it didn't come out your mouth and you didn't say it or a certain thing. Or judge your entire party because of what one, one person says. That being said, we saw um, your leader, Maxime Bernier, um, kind of go at um, the climate activist who came to Montreal recently, Greta Thunberg, and say that she um, was mentally challenged, essentially. And my thing in regards to that is, how, as you, as a candidate for his party, how could you what would you have to say to that? Would you think that's a poor, a poor choice in words and a poor, poor judgment to come out and say that, especially not just to just say it to a person, but to say it to a child, essentially, who's trying to make the world better. And regardless if you think it's misguided or not, we all know that we, we can do better for the environment and she's probably doing her best. But just to say that to a child, do you think that was a little poor choice of words and poor choice of judgment? I think uh, I think it's exactly what you said, uh, a poor choice of words. Uh, I know he, he made a second statement about it afterwards to try to clarify exactly what the position was that he was trying to state. Um, I don't 
I don't think that he was the one to bring up certain mental illnesses. I think it's a well-known part of our platform, but I don't think that justifies him. I, it still doesn't make it necessary given the com comment he was making and the point he was trying to make. So I definitely think he could have made the point without using, uh, referring to that. Um, but regarding the climatism in general, or not climatism, but the whole stance on it, um, I don't know. I remember our childhood growing up with a lot of similar ideas with the global warming that we witnessed when we first realized that the ozone layer was developing a hole. And mm. I forget her name, Miss Suzuki something, came to the United Nations in 1992 and delivered yeah. a very similar speech that yeah, Greta definitely. did and told us that we should be afraid that the earth is going to turn into an oven and it never did. And to see them taking, well, I guess they didn't take this child out of school, but I first, first and foremost, I don't really support the idea of taking children out of school for drastic periods of time. I think that's probably the best place that they're going to learn a lot of things that they need to learn at a certain age. Right. I don't really see her advantage in the movement that she's making other than the publicity that she's getting. Whereas I see a lot of people trying to take advantage of her movement and using it for their advantage. Um, so again, not to, I'm not trying to deny climate change in general. I mean, we know the climate changes, that's fine and dandy, but the explosive nature of what has become this Greta Thunberg uh, mm. movement is maybe a little bit unnecessary, a little bit too far, and it's getting a little, little exaggerated. Too exaggerated. <laughs> thank you for the thank you for the word. Uh, that's the state I'm going, and we can get into it further if you'd like. I don't know if I answered your question properly, or if you want a little bit more meat on the bones. No, no, no. You answered no. enough. Well, no, because yeah. like even to like essentially piggyback what you're saying, like when I heard she was going to be speaking at the UN, I was a little taken aback by it as well because, I mean, essentially, I had heard about the things that she was doing, you know, like especially like sailing across the seas and everything like mm -hmm. that. But overall, like I, I feel like her bringing awareness is great. And I mean, it's something that we all know that's really going on, but to the extent of using it for like this over-politicized push mm -hmm. that... Essentially, it goes to the UN, and I mean, a lot of people refer to the UN as the United Nations of nothing, because yeah. <laughs> not much gets done from them exactly. unless it's like just to bring like it's on war agenda. effort, like warfare efforts to like help those who've been like war torn countries and things of that nation. So, I don't know. I felt like the whole situation, where even when like the whole march was going on, like I didn't hear about it till like literally the day before, and. Just like the amount of people that were like, yeah, 300,000 people are just going to be marching. I was like, a, yeah, that surprised me. It, it what exactly? <laughs> Bro, we all know like in our generation, it's just about being part of something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Half of those people don't even care. Like if they really cared about the environment, would half of them wouldn't upgrade their cell phone as often as they do or the stuff they do because that's part of the climate change, right? You know what I mean? And half of them just wanted to be like, I was there when she was there. I don't find it that it's necessary because we have people here in Canada, young teenagers just like her, who have been preaching about this. Mm -hmm. And no politician necessarily got behind them as much as they got behind Greta. Exactly. And, and to, I think, like you said, to your point, I think it's a point of like just exploiting the fact that she's willing to do this. And you know, the fact that she's out of school for how long, bro? Like, this is, she took her, what, a month and a half to travel across the ocean? This yeah. thing, well, to get here? there was that, but even prior to that, like, her name has been around, I want to say, for at least since, like, end of winter. Well, yeah, because she wrote the Pope, that yeah. whole letter. Like, she's been doing a lot of stuff where she's been traveling around and 
trying to either get meetings with people or speaking to people in like these various areas. So it's been like a consistent amount of time now that she's been out, I would assume, outside of just the traveling for the month and a half on the seas. Like it's been a lot. And like, don't get me wrong. I think this is a hustle. It is something that needs to be addressed. Like we know the issues that are happening with climate change. And I mean, like, to a certain point, it's undeniable considering Wasn't how Al drastic Gore we've seen this, things like big time, early two thousand ago. But that's so exactly like, it. It's, it's like, one why of those do things you need where, a sixteen-year-old or thirteen-year-old? Yeah, and the thing that bugs me about, it, I feel, is like she's just the next big voice they're using at the moment. She doesn't have a voice. Well, I think she's well. Give, no, but like, but think about it. like you. You mentioned Suzuki back when we were in like elementary school, right. going to the UN and doing. Then we had Al Gore having his yeah, talks right. about. We've had Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, having right. talks about. Now we have her. It's like. Once her voice kind of dwindles down, who's going to be the next one? I feel and like it's just well, this chain. What of- kind of gets me, too, is when they come out and they portray it and they say, oh, she's putting on this voice on this issue that needs to be spoken about. They allude to the fact that it hasn't been talked about for the last 30 but years. It has, it has been. been you know, and it has and, been on the forefront of efforts. I and- feel like it's more a matter of, you know, it's something that we've spoken about before on here. When it comes to a lot of issues, how long are you going to talk about it before you're going to actually do something about it, you know? Well, I like the point, too, that uh, Jamali brought up. Uh, I want to bring up Autumn Peltier. She's right, right here in Canada right. making mm-hmm. active... Uh, and for years, yeah. right? I think she's somewhere like 17 and she's been doing this for years. She's out in BC, uh, a native young girl. You know what I mean? They and don't I find it gets overlooked yeah, by what's get, going on right now. They don't get on her back and, and support yeah. her. So, like, to me, like, even, like, the bunch of people who went downtown, I think, was, like, a 500,000, they said. Yeah. Some crazy like that. Maybe like that. Like, what changes have they made in their life to af- to affect change, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the what, whole premise of What change of did this march itself accomplish, and what did it do towards the Nothing. The just messed goal. up my bus route. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably littered the like streets in the process. that's the one thing that, especially, like, for someone like me, and I'm sure for you guys as well, it's... Okay, yeah, it's all fine and dandy to have this march that brings the awareness, but what are the actions that you're doing afterwards? You know, There's and none, bro. And I don't know. I, f- I mean, to go on this tangent now about this, I just feel like I, there I'd has actually, to be more. I want to specifically thank you for both being so open minded to the topic. I don't know if Jason wants to chime in on this, but I may be one of the first people's party candidates to openly have a conversation about this and not be accused of being an anti climate uh, climate change denier. Which I've, which we've never denied at any point, but in the terms of this current political well, yeah, way and, things go, it's like if anybody wants to have a discussion like yeah. we are having right now, it's, it's like taboo. Don't talk about well, it. Well, no, it's, it's people who are basically like, if you're not happy and standing ovating these people for going out and marching, then you're denying all of us. Yeah, you're denying. Where it's like, no, like we we can sit here and uh, we see. We're, we're not blind to what's been going around around the world where it's like the ice caps melting, things of that nature. Like it's apparent that there is climate change happening and something needs to be done. But we can also acknowledge when there's being a spectacle made of climate change and the gains of it aren't worth the efforts that are being behind that spectacle. Like my whole thing on climate change and in my we've had this discussion. I don't think there's nothing much we could do about it. I mean, we could pollute less. We could do all that, but I think it's just nature, right? We, we, we were taught that the world went through an ice age period, and now it's heating back up. That well, shit is just a cycle Well, it's, of life. it's more so than that. Well, pollution especially, like, when you consider what's happening in the coral reef as a result of pollution. Pl- yeah. You know, like, things of that nature right. are not, directly our effect. So right, pollution, you know, pollution is a problem, effect, yeah. but you don't think, like, us having all these satellites out there to accommodate our life 
uh, whether it's through for communication purposes, all those things have an effect. No, I'm sure I, it can have think, an effect I think, as well. I think something That's like what it, we need to pay attention to the bigger picture. It's not just about recycling. It's not about that. Sometimes it's just a course of life. And I think just like how, you know, a couple of years ago, you like decades ago, you had like the whole AIDS epidemic. And it was something that the whole world got behind. And we still have AIDS problem. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that's going to happen in 50 years. They're still going to have climate change issue. I just think it's it's... I don't think it's politicians. I think it's just the nature of things. They're going to always be something that they're going to use to be divisive. There's going to be things to use to appeal to our heart and have us get behind something. But at the end of the day, I think it's all of us to individually do our part to mm. to, Im- to impact a positive change. And it shouldn't be about climate change. It should be us taking care of our home first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're cutting down first, trees yeah. and shit like that. Like like it's nobody's I business. I think deforestation yeah. is one of the biggest it's, issues yeah, on climate yeah. things. What I want to say is I like basically a lot of things you said. Climate change, yeah, is most likely not going to stop. Right. I, I do think that there are things that we can do to try to slow it down or do yeah, whatever we exactly. can. I agree right. that there's measures we can take to try to do it, and I'm right. interested in exploring them. But it bothers me when scientists tell us that we know the measures and we know what they're going to do because they have no idea. They have no plausible mm-hmm. solution to offer us. And I find when they tell us, oh, we know for a fact it's 100% CO2, human-made CO2, and this is how we're going to battle it. And even your own models can't even prove that you know what to do but to battle right. it. And like you're really putting all your eggs into one area. You're neglecting the fact that there are so many other factors in climate change. Right. I can name a couple. I'm sure we'll get into it right. a lot later. But it's it's just so negligent of all the other factors that could happen. And I don't know. I mean, you're going to have the vegans are saying, well, hey, takes more water to raise a cow and all this type of shit. It, it's like a bunch of stuff. Like people are just putting it and pinpointing it to their own advantages or whatever they're trying to, to, to stand behind. And obviously, I think the obvious thing is pollution. We're really overmining. Like we're really extracting mm-hmm. a lot of shit. That, that could have an effect. Mm-hmm. We're sending rockets every couple of months to outer space. That could be a problem too. Like, and we need to look at the bigger picture. Like, there's a lot of things we can do individually, and it would have somewhat of an impact. But the whole, like, they're trying to make it seem like we should just, like, revamp everything. And, I mean, I don't think it's possible, so. And, I, again, what, what really gets to me is the position they take in order to do that, where uh, scientists studying space will tell you we have no idea about X amount. We know maybe 10% of space or whatever quote. Scientists covering the oceans will tell you we know even less about the ocean than we know about space. There's so much ocean. And yet these people will tell you we are solidly sure that we know everything and yet we cannot produce a climate model that can last over a year or two years like that actually works. And and people eat up their opinions and say like we talked about before oh well if you don't stand and clap for these people then you're some sort of denier. Like no but they're not they're not bringing any solid arguments to the table they're not backing themselves up with anything we're an really. emotional society not a logical society bro <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> all right well to move it from the environment we actually have a question from uh, the audience and it. basically they want to know how does your party plan to address uh, immigration in, in canada or specifically for us in uh, quebec Montreal. 
Alrighty, I'll def I'd be happy to cover a little bit of immigration for you guys. I'm I interested hear in that because after I'll, I'll give a, you a quick one and then uh, after I'll take I have just a rebuttal, direct questions. Uh, I have a rebuttal. He didn't even say nothing. <laughs> he already has yeah, his rebuttal. <laughs> I got a rebuttal from whatever you're about to say. <laughs> that's how you plan. But that's whatever you say, I'm the contrary. I'm coming. <laughs> Listen, you have to plan ten steps in the head for what people are gonna say. That's always how it works. Just let him speak. Of course. <laughs> I'll throw this out there in a nutshell. Are, we, are you and I going to be talking like direct numbers or principles and uh, ideologies? Maybe, but you can, you can see. Right, depending anyway. on your answer. So what I got uh, on behalf of the People's Party and what I'd like to show to the rest, show to the people is that right now about 55% of our immigrants are what they call economic immigrants. Uh, and you, you guys can Google that. It's not a problem. No problem. I um, understand what you're saying. However, that number, including to our statistics... Uh, it includes the spouses and the dependents of the economic worker. Right. So the real percentage is actually far lower, especially since over the past few years, Justin drastically increased the number of parents and grandparents coming in under reunification, yeah. uh, which is not helping our aging population by any means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so our leader, Max Bernier, say his name again out there, uh, <laughs> came to the number 26%. I don't have the info right here to break that number down for you, break the calculation down. I can contact them, but I won't be breaking that down right now. But in general, I'm going to say that our goal is to increase that percentage up closer to 50% ideally, but anything on the way up we think would be a good thing. So uh, people can debate Max's calculation, I'm sure. But again, I think the concept of trying to keep that number up in terms of how many come in successfully immigrate into our society, take on jobs and are living good life versus mm -hmm. how many are currently on social services or whatnot, uh, keeping that ratio up, I, I think, is important. So to answer the question directly and probably the way that it's been covered in the use is yes, our plan involves taking in less non-economic immigrants. We understand that the other parties do not want to engage in the conversation, but we do believe that there is a difference between people coming from other continents and people coming from the United States. If you're leaving the, United, the U.S., your life is not in danger. You're not fleeing persecution. You're fleeing Donald Trump. There are good people who have been waiting on lists to be accepted into Canada for years, and it's not fair that they're being set aside. Furthermore, we believe that there are countries in, the, there are countries in need of real help, and our aid programs should be based on that, not the geographical ease to walk across our border. For information regarding dealing with the United States, I invite you guys all to go look at the platform online. There's more information on it. Um, but to say it bluntly, the People's Party of Canada is for immigration. We believe a conversation about the economic sustainability of a successful long-term immigration plan is a discussion that must be had on the federal level, as it will ultimately benefit all the parties involved. Mm. Now I'm ready for your rebuttal. That's a good question. That's a good answer, actually. Sorry, that's a good answer. <laughs> um, I'm going to go into a little bit of histrionics, um, because... Did you say histrionics? Yes. We're getting creative over here. Go for it. No, I no. like it. <laughs> because um, as a child of an immigrant, and when my parents, and I'm, I'm sure for Jamali's parents, um, Matt's parents, same thing. Grandparents. Um, grandparents, same thing. Um, our parents were, they didn't have much when they came to Canada at all. And because of the policies at the time, which was, Justin Trudeau's dad, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, back in the prime minister back in the time, because of the openness and of the government at the time, not necessarily letting in any and everyone into the country, but the, I, I remember at the time there was a lot of conservatives 
well, not at the time, but because, you know, history, I read through history, that a lot of conservative thinking was like, oh, if you let these people in, they're going to either sell you the country, dirty up the country, make it, make it like a cesspool, everyone's going to be on welfare. There is truth to, to that part, but there's like um, a 10% truth to what people are saying. And the thing is that um, from what I've seen in letting in the people who need the help, it's not necessarily that, especially for the liberal problem, that they just want to let in anyone, but they want to let in people who are, you know, really in need. If you have the means and you're coming from a different country, I agree with you for the thing for the United States, that if you're walking across the border, your life is not in danger, you should, you should go back. Because you're living, you're not in danger. You're probably in danger from ICE coming to get you from the States, but that's essentially it. However, what I'm seeing, especially from what I'm, and we've seen this from the, the local, um, the Quebec, the, from the Quebec government, they want people from, from more, you could say, European countries to come over instead of like, you have people from Africa coming over, people from Haiti coming over, people from the Caribbean coming over. And for me, it, it kind of touches on a on a, a level that's kind of you're pandering to people who want who can actually make a financial contribution to the country instead of people who can actually who actually need the help. And this is what I'm seeing. You correct me if I'm wrong or not, but it, for like I was getting back to my parents now. If that opportunity wasn't afforded to my parents, if for example I say like your policy that you want to implement goes into effect, people like my parents or Jamali's parents or Matt's grandparents would have never had the chance to come here in the first place. And we wouldn't be your friend. <laughs> you wouldn't even see us. So this is, this is the kind of thing I'm thinking about because, yeah. it, and it, that, that part of that platform bo bothers me. I'd love to, I, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way first off, and I'd like to try to do my best to address it for you. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, the exact plan was when any of your first, past generations came in and whether it was economically set up that they fit a certain standard or, or whatnot. So I, I won't speak uh, as if I do, but I think at one point there you got a little bit mixed up between the uh, economic immigrant and the non-economic immigrant. We w do want to increase the percentage-wise and the ratio of them. Uh, the easiest way in doing so right now with the waiting list that we have would be to decrease the non-economic ones, which is why I brought up uh, the issue in the States. But uh, the adhering to bringing in only Europeans is an idea that it's the first I've heard of today. Actually, uh, what we bring up in our in our platform when we say people who need it is people more looking into the Middle East and looking into certain Arab countries where Christians, uh, Jewish people, and even, even Muslims who are not of the same Muslim faith of the people or the countries around them are being treated barbarically, their lives are being threatened, and they don't have a country directly next door to them that they can walk to, that they can go for for help. It's not like an American that can walk here and take it. And our, and our specific, uh, our beef with what's going on right now is is really the, the Third Country Act that we signed with the United States that essentially opened up our borders to allow them to walk through and basically let's Canadian officials say, well, you can apply for whatever you want to apply for after you come, but you can come in right now. We just don't think that that's a good way to be running our borders. But I do believe in humanitarian aid. I do think that definitely we need to help countries where aid is needed, where the people are needed. Uh, and But I think that the average Canadian right now thinks that we're doing that on a much bigger level just because Justin says I'm going to increase the amount of, of immigration. Whereas he has increased the amount of immigration. I don't think he's helped drastically more people from those countries. I think we have stats about the amount of Americans coming to Quebec alone, which I've seen in how it affects our healthcare system. 
But um, yeah, but that that wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. That argument for the the health thing, it, I, I, excuse my French, is kind of bullshit because health in the states right now is is ridiculous. No one could afford it except the ultra rich, and because the reason why they're coming over here <clears> for the healthcare system is because yes, they probably can't afford what's in the states, but yeah, they can afford what's over here because it's by far more affordable. So it's not necessarily about when you're when you're coming to putting on a strain. That's more of a U.S. policy and U.S. economics that are driving people to Canada to come get medication and prescription medication. And medication and prescription is definitely one thing on the on the other side of healthcare, and I feel like they've been wanting it for a long enough time that any opportunity they have, like an open border, to come get it, they'll probably take advantage of. Uh, my experience in the healthcare sector on our side, what I've seen when I used to stop by the walk-in clinic one times a day mm-hmm. when we first took a mass a mass immigration, uh, I've, I'm not sure exactly what the year was, but I remember it was all in the news. That's when we opened up the it's Olympic Stadium. And, yeah, and 2016, And I saw, I, I saw somebody at the walk-in clinic, a Canadian, who didn't have their Medicare card on them. I don't know if they forgot it. I don't know if they lost it. I don't know if it expires. But Medicare, which is something that you consider as a Canadian, right, that you guys have the mm-hmm. right to do. She didn't have her Medicare card on her, and she was denied service unless she paid. She was served a bill for her health care services here in Canada. Behind the person giving her, explaining to her that, there was a gigantic sign saying, if you tell us that you're a refugee, you don't have to p- give us any paperwork whatsoever, and your bills will be 100% taken care of. I hope that's so, factual. Pardon me? I hope that's factual because I know I know uh, I, you, I, no, I was, was I was standing there and I read the sign myself <laughs> when, when, and yeah so because it's, it's y- factual. Y- that that literally was happening. <laughs> and and I I don't see the equality behind that. I must say I don't. So this is, no, yeah. go ahead Jamal, go ahead. So I mean I listened to you guys speak and I could agree with some of the stuff you guys are saying. But one part of it like we have to remember like Canada signed on with other countries to provide and to be a safe country for humanitarian and compassionate Mm -hmm. reasons. Mm. So by virtue of them signing on to that, they're allowed, they have no choice but to have open borders. And let's not get it misconstrued. U.S. citizens are not coming to Canada. They'll be turned back. The the U.S. is not a place where they're in danger. So any application of refugee or humanitarian act will be refused. So it's not... U.S. citizens. You, you have a lot of people coming over, and what you're referring to is the rocks and road situation. These people are coming over, people who have made applicant applications in the U.S. and were denied. And so they're looking for a safe third country. Canada being the way it is, not going to go to Mexico. They come up <laughs> here, they're going to get accepted. And we do have a due diligence because we signed that act. I think it's somewhere in the 1970s. We have the right to give them what we call a fairness trial. So we have to accommodate them. And obviously, due to the long list of them, we're obviously, it was supposed to be 30 days according to the law, but now obviously it's pushed over Yeah, a year, there's a backlog. Right? Mm-hmm. Backlog, yeah. terribly wrong. Um, should they cut people off? It's hard. You, in a system that, uh, such as what Canada has, you're going to have people who are going to try to pull one on the system. You're going to have people who really need the help. Me being an immigrant... Emigration policies are necessary, but also have to look at it from a taxpaying po- perspective, mm-hmm. right? We can't burden the system because it's, it's just not logical. Like when Justin brought in, I think, with 120,000 Syrians, I'm not against that. But then you have situations, mm-hmm. if you guys remember in 2011 or maybe even before that when Hezbollah went in mm-hmm. and they had this whole issue in Lebanon, 
you had a bunch of Lebanese Canadians who were outside of Canada. They were collecting whether welfare, pension, all of these things, which is illegal. And Canada had to send, spend over a couple million to get them out because they're Canadian citizens. We had to go and get them retrieved from that danger zone. These are the, the exploitation within the immigration system I would want to see get addressed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like finding barricades or, you know, I, I agree with you. Economic immigration is necessary. Um, you know, they have immigration programs that are in place to do that. They should increase the numbers. Mm-hmm. But with all this influx of um, refugees, which we understand, it's hard for them to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think last November they decreased the, uh, they closed down the program for um, uh, people who want to come here. And they've had an agreement with the Philippines, I believe, where you can come in as a nurse and you, a nurse mm-hmm. and assistant and provide healthcare services and you stay with your employer for two years and you can apply for your PR. And that program was there for about five years and then they end up closing it out. You Here in Quebec, you had the entrepreneurial uh, policies where you could come in, buy a business and hire at least one Canadian citizen. And after a couple of years, you know, they, you could apply for your PR. The problem with that is you have one guy who would buy it, him and his family come in, they do what they need to do, they get their paper, he sells it to his brother, and they do that for years. So it's like these uh, these system where the system's getting abused, or the, I think is the most part of the immigration policies that need to be addressed. It's not about how much people we let in, it's about how these people come in and uh, whether they're taking advantage of the system or they really need help. There's people who definitely need help, mm. but we have to provide them a fair trial. And so regardless of whether we know they're lying from the beginning, we have to investigate. It's going to cost money. And while they're waiting for this process to go through, taxpayers are paying for it. Exactly. Because they need places, you know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? Like, I, I mean, I agree with you fully. I would never want to deprive somebody of help that's help that they need. Right. That, that's not the goal uh, whatsoever, the thing. But what we, what we would want to stop is people who are in other countries looking for help who apply to multiple countries right. and then get their responses and then pick which country they'd rather go to afterwards to pay s- dependent right. on where they're basically right. citizenship shopping is what they call it. Right. So you apply to multiple places, you see what your best offer is, and if we get Canada, we get Canada. Well, I, I mean, think Canada is seeked out because like it, in Germany, for example, no matter how long you live there, you'll never get PR. And Germany always looked to what they call, I uh, forgot the exact words, but their goal is to get your country back up and running so that you can go back there. They're not looking to keep you there. So if you're a child, like just like in the Emirates, if you're born to Pakistani mm-hmm. parents in Dubai, you're never going to be an Emirati. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Their citizenships are limited. But also, just to be fair, like you cannot be a refugee in England and come here. It's because England is part of the safety. If they're already country. able to help you, right. yeah, so then why? Those exactly. are the things that we need to understand. So when those we get those type of situation, those things are not burdened to the system because they're easily filtered out. What's a burden to the system is people who really come in and know how to manipulate the well, system. So if the Quebec government can say with certainty that over forty thousand people have come over illegally since January of twenty seventeen. Right. And they can look at it and say the average deportation is gonna take us about two to probably three years per person. Yeah. That's how long it's going to take. Absolutely. If they're and able then, to find so, that So like person, you said, right? the taxpayer is basically going to pay that Absolutely. for three years if yeah. they find them. Right. But do you do you think that the Quebec government, their numbers are credible? Remember, this is the Absolutely. same... Absolutely. 
Well, Absolutely. This is I mean, same. you had people crossing over Roxon Road in the summertime by the boat. They were given direction in, in yeah, Plattsburgh on how to get to Roxon Road because yeah. it's not a well-known place. You had, And the thing about it, you can't stop them, right? Because we signed yeah. that act. So you have to let them cross. Then they infringe on the Immigration Act. Then you have to arrest them. You have to process them. You have to release them. You, they have to come back in 30 days and do all the necessary paperwork. And then, unfortunately, you have to find them some sort of legal counsel. It's a heavy so, burden. I mean, it sounds like we actually ag agree on I most agree aspects yeah. Yeah. of It pretty of much sounds pretty like much you guys everything. are on the yeah. exact same but, page. Like, again, I, um, what I'm saying is I, I think most people who hear about immigration thinks of it as like, oh, people are just coming in and freeloading and this and that. Some people really don't have a place to go. And I think it's, I'm happy that Canada has open, an open policy as such. I don't mm -hmm. want, I don't want to see that change. I just want to see that they have systems that are in place to avoid the abuse. You I hear I mean? you. So, I agree, couldn't agree with you more. I think yeah. you said it very, very well. I think Canada benefited greatly from the immigration that's had in the past years, and I think it will benefit greatly from immigration oh, for years to come. Uh, hopefully, that's the plan. Most definitely. Um, to is there any, <laughs> Do you have anything like against... Mm. When, when looking at my actual policy, is, is it the, the idea behind the percentages or the ratio of economic to non-economic, or is it just sort of the process of looking through the non-economics and the cuts that would need to be made that's more... I kind I think I I kind of go along the lines of what Jamal was saying. They're, I don't I don't mind the people coming in or anything like that. You just need a different a better process in getting them processed, either coming into the country legally and getting them set up, or if these people don't need to be here, get a quicker process to get them out as quick as possible. Because as much as there was a lot of people coming in in that past summer, there was a lot of people getting turned back during that time as well. I remember going to around Bonaventure, uh, downtown Montreal. I saw them waiting for in, in a line, a whole bunch of people. And most of them got turned away. A lot of the majority of them got turned away. And yeah, but there's this, also an appeal process, right? Yeah, the appeal process. <coughs> so no, because you have to the give them process. an issue of uh, a fair trial, they have the right to appeal. That's that's fine. And that's fine. That's not a problem. Like to me, it's not even the them coming across the border the whole backlog, it's really and truly there's ways that things could be done and could be done efficiently and where dollars are not wasted. I think for a lot of politicians, they agreed to have these things happen because it's a way they could siphon a little few dollars on the side. But how do you feel about just like point of entries in general? I personally would assume that no matter when any country I've ever been to or intend on going to, I plan on going through their national port of entry and letting them know that I'm coming. And if there's a lineup, I'll wait in line. That's all there is to it. Right. But mm. you're you're saying that as a Canadian. With money. As someone, not just with no, money. I, I'm saying that on, on a national side of how do you think a country should treat its borders? Should they just, should they be open to, oh, you know what, come across and we'll we'll figure out the paperwork later? Or should they have a bit of a concentration on, you know what? I hope there's not a line. We'll try to give the lines like as low as we can, but we should try to have some organization in how we're going to go about this. Well, I mean, I whether the the, the aspect with the whole thing with Rocks and Road, and it's not just Rocks and Road. Rocks and Road is the one in Quebec. There's one in Winnipeg. There's one in Alberta where literally there's no border. Like there's no yeah. fence. There's no border patrol. Like one side is Canada, the other side is the U.S. And you have a lot of countries in Europe like that, right? I think the problem what we have is. Obviously, the system of fear. So when Donald Trump got 
mm-hmm. elected. Everybody got up in arms and everybody rushed the border. Mm-hmm. I think those type of things, that's more on a, on a, what do you call, on a global level, right? So I think that's one thing. I think also people seek out countries that they know are accepting. And I, 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 me being who I am, if I was in anybody mm-hmm. else's position, I wasn't going to look, if let's say I was in Syria and I see how they're treating me in Europe. Man, if I could make it to Canada, I'm coming. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> because you, we're accepting people, right? Sure. So, like, you, you expect that. I, I think the way we should treat the border is have, like, I'm not saying put up a wall. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm mm-hmm. not saying closing off these things. And I think Rocks and Road is just a, a, a mere example of it was organized. It wasn't like it was chaotic and you had a bunch of people just rushing it. Mm-hmm. it was, there were people there processing. There's immigration officers waiting welcoming these people, you know what I mean? Treating them right. They set up tents out in Granby at one point. So it wasn't like they were treated like criminals. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should treat them like criminals. The thing is, too, it's like if what is the end, If they don't have a car, what, are they going to pull up at the border on foot? Yeah. You, you can't. It won't work. You can walk over. Uh, they do that. Yeah, you can walk right you, up to the car border on foot. You walk could over. walk. I'm not saying you can't. I'm you saw, you, do you remember what happened to the guy who walked over? He lost his hands. <laughs> in the, in the, I'm not, it's not funny, but he, that's Because he did it froze. on like one of the coldest days in winter. Yeah, right. but, but again, yeah. people have no choice. If you have nothing, But the that's point what is, Roxton Road was a safe point, and, I, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree to that because, like I said, there's people waiting there, those school buses, they're getting processed right away. So it was efficient as opposed to have them walk in, blocking traffic, Creating a whole other slew of issues, so I'm not against that. And I, I mean, what what other alternatives? I mean, there's also people coming every day by plane, right? People come by plane, not only by plane, but but at, by the, at the same border. Do you think that that border itself is to this day being monitored the same way, or do you think it's sort of locked up after a big influx and ever since people who know about it have been using it anyways? And I think I think the the thing is when people come in there, they're documented right away, right? So. If they're coming in now and they're coming in on their own and they're doing all that, they obviously are malicious, right? Unless they come in and they go straight to Ten Ten Saint Antoine and declare their entry, mm. then you could do that. You know what I mean? But like again, I, I'm not saying building a wall is going to ser- solve anything, and I don't think it even go, it go, probably goes against the treaty we signed back in se- in the seventies. Yeah. So I'm, again, I'm not against people coming in. I'm just against the policies in which things are done. And that burden the system, and obviously there should be some burden on the system. We know that, but it shouldn't get to a Not point to the where, extent that it's where been, it's where getting our right deficit now. has yeah. gone so which is where I where, where I feel the need to talk right. about. It. I actually feel like I've agreed with absolutely everything yeah, you've yeah. said so far. Right. <laughs> right. I don't have anything yeah, to deny about economy. what yeah. you said. Yeah, it, gets, it comes down about numbers, you know. And it goes, but it, again, to bring up what I brought up at the last at the end of our, the last topic we spoke to is it's hard for P- PPC members to have a general conversation like this with the general public without being shunned people, upon as some sort yeah. of radical. And it's like, oh, it's not a radical idea. It's just a conversation. It's, and, and the idea to want to shelve a conversation, to, to discuss something. Why yeah. should anybody ever say like, no, this is not worth discussing. I don't want to hear your opinion because it's not even worth discussing. It's like, no, yeah. it's, but when it seems like no, a rational it's conversation that needs to be had because they are directly affecting us no e- matter what exactly. we want to say about it. Like whether you are on that side that is, you know, open the borders, let them in, we'll deal with it once they're here. Or if you're on the opposite end where you're like, no, we need to at the very least bottleneck it, have like the entry points as you were saying and have certain 
post put in place that when they come, they go here, and we know at the very least we can keep a monitored eye on mm-hmm. how they are being processed and that they're being processed efficiently and effectively. So when they are then either allowed or denied, we know the reasons why, and it's not a matter of we just flushed them in and then it didn't work out or flushed mm-hmm. them in and they found their way because they got lucky, you know? It's yeah. good to have that process done immediately, which is why I I feel like, yeah, we've pretty much been on the same page as far as everything goes with that side of the immigration conversation. Yeah, I'm just happy we're able to have the entire conversation. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's no. a good thing. I mean, I think it's a needed conversation. I think a lot of people are miseducated on a lot of things and they listen to the media and then they go crazy. Well, the big oh, they're picture. coming in to take our jobs and they're coming in to do... Nah, bro, cut it out. Obviously. But I was going <laughs> to say is that, is that words are our tools. The conversations that we have in places like this, especially with people who are critics of you or who have a different opinion from you, but it's through having the conversation necessary. directly with them and, and hearing their side and getting to display your side. That's how you get to the end of the, get to a, resolve a conversation. But I can't have a conversation or with you not. if I have no knowledge of it. And my only position exactly. is I'm opposed to it because of what I heard and what not what I know. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to avoid having a conversation. Because I don't want to expose like, my no, the conversation right. is, Exactly. But the conversation is what gets us further ahead. Definitely. Definitely. Jason? Hmm? We can switch this up. Because uh, I know you did want to talk uh, economics. We lightly brushed on it. Oh, but but actually, yeah, I'll spit it out. It's just a few couple things. We should get yeah, a bit some, deeper some food, into what some food for your party has then, going uh, on. Economics, I just want to f- talk about student debt. If you can go, on, go on, <laughs> forgive us about them debt, you're good with it. Blame your choices of school, Jamali. What? <laughs> blame your choices of school. <laughs> Don't blame the right. debt. Blame your choices of school. It is what it is, baby. All right. So, talk numbers a little bit. We're currently $692 billion in debt. This is an amount that I don't even think we can conversate about and actually understand and, and no. res- respect. So I'll, I'll narrow it down and I'm going to say just the interest payments alone on this amount are $26 billion per year. Just on interest. So to put that into perspective, we currently spend $6 billion per year on ch- children's benefits, $4 billion a year on veterans, $4 billion on health care, and another $1 billion on natural resources and another billion on the environment. So that, and that's, that's $16 billion I just mentioned. So we're spending $10 billion per year more on, our, on covering our interest payments on our debt than we're investing in all these five areas put together. So if any of you guys think that's properly managing a country, I would tend to disagree. But, but a lot of these, like what Jason mentioned about the Trudeau's father... In the 80s, yes, it was good that he allowed a lot of immigrants, but his policies were stupid, bro. Like, if you look back on some of his policies, it's what started this whole deficit building. But running, running a deficit for the last four years and then promising a north of $10 billion deficit for every year of the next four years yeah. is not the direction. Yeah. To no, it shouldn't be. No, I'm quite the opposite. It's not going to solve the problem. <laughs> well, no, let me, let me no. ask you a question in regards to the deficit. What do you think is a successful economy? Uh, and if you tell me it's not a deficit, you're absolutely wrong because every economy that's successful has a deficit. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's it's mm-hmm. not a deficit, but I look at, at how people are taxed, what they're getting out of their dollars, how far their dollar can stretch them at the average store. That I agree with you with. Uh, and, and I think we could do better in a lot of those areas if we look at our federal government spending and eliminate a little bit of the waste around it in areas 
But I, that I think if the general Canadian or average Canadian can agree that the average Canadian is probably not benefiting from it, then we got to wonder why we're spending the money. Do you think mm-hmm. that's more of a provincial problem instead of a of a? Because uh, I think th- I think the provincial in that sense, I think the provincial provinces have their own battles to be held. But the, I think on the federal level, there's definitely Canada wide tax. The, money the reason why I asked you if it's a provincial thing because we saw um, during the Harper years that um, Alberta for God knows how long, was making uh, billions and billions and billions and billions and Oil billions money. of dollars of profits. Ridiculous amount. They have one bad year, everyone's broke. <laughs> Again, that's more. that sounds more of a mismanagement on a provincial level than it is actually something on a federal level. Because yes, I understand they were making a lot of money, paying off a lot of debts, Canada, and yes, Alberta, stop complaining. We know you've done a lot for Canada throughout the years. We get it, but you see things. You see things that in provinces like Alberta, you're making for over ten, eleven years profits. You had no debt, essentially no debt in the province, and how you have one bad, one bad sense. You don't have a rainy day fund, is what I'm essentially trying to say. That sounds more of a mismanagement on the provincial level than it is on a federal level and because of Alberta's oil, which is dictates most of the economy for Canada depend. It goes with the dollar essentially right now. That seems more mismanagement on the provincial level when it comes to people being on welfare in Quebec, overspending in Ontario, not having a rainy day fund in Alberta, that kind of things seems more on a provincial level than it actually is federally because the federal, all the federal government is doing. Yeah. They they're responsible for things, but they're giving money to the provinces for the provinces to spend. Well, most well, that, pro- uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't most provinces collect equalization equal- payments? Yeah, that's yeah, they, right. yeah, which is why I'm saying it, it sounds more of a mismanagement on the provincial level well, because federally we are we're the only party that wants to remove those equalization payments because we find it'll give the independence to the people who are currently used to having a handout. Okay. A lot. I mean, it was designed initially as a somewhat of a welfare program, which are generally designed to help you get onto your feet so you can learn how to do things you want. If you've been receiving them for over 50 years, they're not helping you get grow anywhere. They're in, exactly. So we kind of want to remove that. And looking at what you were just saying, yeah, Alberta wasn't receiving those payments all those years. And then... <laughs> I don't know the exact history, but I guess according to you, things happen. But the other, a lot of the other costs that you brought up, those aren't cuts that we're looking at when we talk about our federal budget and how to limit them. Those are, I agree with you fully, they're, if not municipal, provincial, or sometimes even independent issues that you have to deal with. Because I see, I see, I see those, I get the spending I get, it's a little bit out of hand and everyone knows we have a high, you know, we have a high debt right now. However, I do see people, more people working than they were five years ago. I see more people making more money individually five years ago. And like I said before, I agree with you that taxes are a li- are still a little bit too high in regards, especially here in Quebec where we're paying two taxes. It's ridiculous. But I'm seeing more of an upward trend individually for people of the middle class, people who actually need to be working. And I don't see as much rich people getting richer. I see more middle people in the middle class getting I'm not saying necessarily richer, but they're in a better place. They're a much better place than they were, say, five, six years ago. Uh, I guess that one would be debatable. I yeah. personally don't think the average middle class is doing that much better than they were five or six years ago. It's it's a part of why I'm getting involved. I think Trudeau would tout that we're doing a lot better, but I just I'm one of them, and I don't see what he's talking about. Well, I think my, this is. I have a question for you, and I think this ties in. I think 
My question is to you is what's going to happen with the interest rate? Because I think what, the reason why Jason and other people believe that the middle class is because we haven't raised interest, interest rate in exactly. a long yeah. motherfucking time. Which means a and lot of the success we're seeing happen, is a mortgage on our future. Right. So when that happened, you're going to have a lot of default on mortgages. A lot of people are going to start declare bankruptcy, and it's terrible. So, but yeah, that's an individual's problem because if you're buying more than no, you, it's not an individual. If you're problem, buying more than no, you it's can afford, the federal, it's federal government is federal hiding government. that deficit from you by not raising the taxes. Yeah, when understand should, that, then but it's all of our it'll problems. Affect, it's, buying, it'll affect us all. If you're buying out of your means, there's the same thing what happened people, in the states. But people are it's, buying. No, it's not the same thing. People are right buying, now. It's in their means. It's yeah, within exactly. their means because yeah, because there's no interest rate that's risen up or hasn't moved in. I don't know how long. The moment that shifts a bit, even by a quarter of a percent, all of a sudden your mortgages you can no longer afford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous problem, which is different than the US where they were buying and selling bad debt. Mm-hmm. It's a whole mm-hmm. different story. So that's my question, because I think a lot of a lot of people our age are looking to buy their first home or looking to make investments, buying up whether it's just a, a commercial business or whatever the case is, and they're going to the banks for loans. What's gonna happen? What's your guys, what your party's perspective on interest rate? Because the moment that shifts, you're tipping the scale. I think so. Definitely. Oh, that's what we think yeah. too. Uh, so to be noted, we're, we're the only party even looking towards balancing the budget within one term. None of the other parties even promise it or even think it's possible. Um, to answer Jason's question, I think part of me wanting the government to be more lean, more efficient, is something that Max says all the time, is that one of the first things our federal government should do when when given a task or, or an issue is decide whether it's federal jurisdiction in the first place or if this is an issue that should be done by a province, should be done by a municipality, or if it should we should encourage people to work these things out themselves. Because the more fe- the federal government wants to get involved in those everyday decisions that we should be making as people or as, as provinces, it's a problem. We need the government to be smaller, less intrusive upon our everyday lives and really only work on the on the stuff that is federal jurisdiction makes a difference equally to all Canadians from out west to out east um, getting so talking about lowering when I say lowering our taxes I'm talking about the federal tax I'm not talking about the provincial tax I understand we're not going to be able to solve a lot of the problems that the province is in by itself um, but to talk about foreign policy I'll give you off quick our stance I'll make it real quick but um like we just talked about, as our national debt continues to mount, the liberal, the liberal government devotes more and more resources trying to solve social and economic problems in other countries. It spends billions of dollars every year to help countries in Africa and Asia build roads and reduce CO2 emissions. The People's Party is here to lower the taxes for Canadians. So if elected, we will not get involved in foreign conflicts unless we really deem that there's a Canadian interest in doing so and we see a benefit in it. We would strengthen our relations with our main trading and defense partner, which is the United States. I'm not saying it would be easy, but it would be necessary. Uh, definitely reduce our presence in the United Nations institutions. Um, we talked about them a second ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, liberalize trade with as many countries as possible. That is what is going to ensure growth in developing economies. Free, open up free trade for them. Let them start businesses where they can sell their products directly to us with no taxes associated. That's how... We will encourage their, them to grow. And then in terms of really saving and on the international front, we would save billions of dollars by phasing out the developmental aid uh, programs and focus Canadian international assistance on human, humanitarian action. So health crises, major conflicts, natural disasters, stuff like that. 100% we have foreign aid for that, for, for things that need it. 
But certain programs that I think you can look into right now, I advise you to look into the four billion we're sending to Africa or the almost two that we're sending in Asia for for projects that you can honestly look at and say that we're not benefiting that greatly from and we're paying annually for them. My whole thing is, what do you, so you guys want your party envision having more businesses with the U.S., more trades with the U.S.? Because I think that's, True. that's from a person who don't believe in politics, right, but just in beer, common sense, I have a problem with that. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm being irrealistic. I feel like for, we're too dependent on the U.S. in terms of trades. Obviously, it, it's easy. We share a border together. So it's it cost effective, but I think when it comes to trade, we're on the lower end of it. We're not getting the full benefit that we're getting. We're accommodating to the U.S. because it's easier to get our products there. But then also it interferes with our foreign affairs because if they have an issue, let's say with the Huawei situation, we saw mm -hmm. we saw how all of a sudden our, we have to kind of back them because we want to protect our trade with them. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like. I feel like Canada and a, on a whole need, especially in this day and age, need to have s some leverage on their independence. I think for far too long we've been dependent on the U.S. to sustain our economy. I think personally, I don't think that's a good look. I think that's very dangerous, especially when you have leaders like Trump. You know, I mean, I don't think Trump controls everything. I don't think he controls anything to begin with. But I'm just saying where the U.S. is going... I don't know, like, you know, dismantling the, the free trade agreement, NAFTA, mm -hmm. all these type of things. I don't think Canada benefits from all their relations necessarily with them. Well, even like touching on the whole Huawei situation, we literally stepped in it when it came to that mm -hmm. whole situation because we could have easily just, oh, you guys have an issue with the president of Huawei being in Canada? Well, it's too late. She's already on the plane and Can't she's do that. gone. Can't do that. No, they easily could have and should have done Even that. if she was on the plane, they would turn the plane back together. They should have just let her go. It's, because it's, it's when they detained her for the U.S. Exactly. purpose. Exactly. And, and then the and U.S. turned around never done and that. said, oh, no, blah, 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 and they end up in discussion yeah, with like them. Like, they should have never detained her. They should have let her go and look. You have your issue with and the U.S. And she wasn't even the president. She was the president's wife or something yeah, like that. Like, it was stupid on our part to detain her for something that we were not involved in. Right. Only because we have trade with the U US. with the U.S. and they had issued, they did that. It was the dumbest thing it's in the world It's an agreement they signed, though. It's an agreement. It's the same no, thing. No, not, not in that case. It is. In I, that I case, 100% guarantee you it's an agreement they signed. Because <laughs> she was on Canadian soil, not doesn't American. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's the agreement they signed. It's no. the agreement they signed. No, but it's a, there's no. a difference. There, <laughs> the agreement is on extradition. Exactly. If, if she did a crime in the U.S. and they wanted her, we have to extradite yeah, her to the U.S. We, but she did not commit exactly. any crime. She did nothing here to be detained outside of being here. And the U.S. knowing that she was here. Yeah. Like, that type of policy, like, to me, I think that's a dangerous game we're playing, especially on a global level. Uh, we have, you know, globalization has changed over the past years, right? So... We have easy access to a lot of things. I think we should try to run an independent game. Like, I'm not saying cut off trade with the U.S., but we could see that they're acting in their own, their own best interests when it mm -hmm. comes to Canada. So I don't know. I don't know if I could back that policy of, like, building a stronger well, relations with them. Well, strong. We have to have some sort of relationship yeah, with absolutely. them. They are the United States. And I agree absolutely. fully with you in the sense that when we walk, that we'll have our own negotiations with the United States right. directly. And when we walk into those no negotiations, we should get the best we can possibly get for Canada. 100% we yeah. should. 
Uh, it's damn near impossible think, for us to thrive here without having these I think, trade relationships with the U.S. It's damn near impossible. No, I'm not saying it isn't, but I, I, I think when it comes down to certain things, we need to also cultivate a lot of homegrown entrepreneurs. I yeah, think we need to we need to map. put a lot of uh, an infrastructure where we could support that. You know what I mean? Agreeable, I feel like. But I th- Looking at just the the NAFTA agreement itself, if I'm not mistaken, we have the new one under Trump and Trudeau, right. and then we have the other one that was pretty much standard for a very, very, very long time. Right. And I think we were better under the original one. Than, of course, by far. So that yeah, we really were. We lost. We lost <laughs> the second round of signing, so we're not doing as well as we potentially could be. Right. I agree with you that hopefully we'd be doing the best we possibly could and we'd be profiting off of the United States and making all sorts of money negotiation-wise. So I think that's realistic. Probably not, but I think we should strive for better than what we have, for sure. Oh, for sure. And I think the only reason why we don't profit is because, you know, it's sort of like, I feel like they see Canada as like, where else are they going to go? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they're going to come to us before they go anywhere else. I think the moment you start going elsewhere, even if it's for the same or a little less, it forces them to now realize, hey, there's competition in the space. It's capitalism. Right. So mm-hmm. is the game Open up the markets, right. open up free trade. The more competition there is, the lower the price is going to be. It's going to be good for everybody. It's booming right now. Big time. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I mean, it's something I, I've looked at from uh, that perspective. And I think it's necessary, especially moving forward, that we, the U.S. Act and like the Kyoto Accord for even just like greenhouse, they refuse to sign it, even though Canada did. Like so, they're not really on. A, they're not on China, par with China. China didn't sign the the Paris Accord either. And to to look at the actual Paris Accord and to look, I mean, even the United Nations broke it down using their own climate models to right. see what it'll actually accomplish. If all the, I think I have it right here somewhere. That if all the countries China got the go, technology, bro, they were creating clouds during the Beijing Olympics. Oh yeah, that's when you know they gangster. <laughs> Don't need us. They have weather cannons for sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. So basically, there are factories that are just pumping up the smog. They just giant fans in the air to push the smog down. <laughs> Definitely, but I mean, re- to think on a global level, if on the CO two emissions, what what are our emissions relative to China's emissions? Nothing. And so to look at the Paris climate, like we're going to strive, and then to look at the costs associated to some of the measures being put in place, so that we can strive to make these things for the the Paris Accord, which a is going to not do very much good over the next hundred years, even if we all make it. B, if China's not involved, we're basically what are we even offsetting with their the damage? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but not, we also, a, but we also, as the Westernized countries, have to take ownership. For a long time, China and India has been our dumping ground for waste, and that's where a lot of the, especially in India, a lot of pollution comes from them burning our waste. Like also, but but you have to look at the size of their population yeah, as well. And you can't you can't assume that these people are going to stay low and stay for it. Like the, these people are going to grow. Their population is only going to grow. They're going to want to succeed. They're going to produce waste. They are right. They are going to produce waste at a, at a higher rate than we are with their population. What is it like? In a, com- are you in slightly com- above one third of the population is within that small section? Right. I, like I'm not saying insane. otherwise. I'm not saying otherwise. I'm just saying when it comes to waste, the Western world consume a lot more. Than these guys. Let let's be. Let's keep that a hundred. There's no way you could compare. Chi- Even though they're overly populated, 
They're well, all, we no cons- consumption. I guess could probably be arguing, right, but, but they I'm have statistics about, about how much actual waste yeah, is coming it's out. Definitely and it's them over us when it comes to hundred percent. Well, of course you're dealing with in the, where you're dealing with a population like that. Yes, but I'm just saying yeah. our consumption is forcing their production. For example, the way we consume things. And well, they that's can- that's why I said a carbon tax isn't going to do anything. You carbon tax a business, say, oh, you're going to put out more carbon. We're going to charge you more. They're just going to factor that into the price of whatever they're, they're selling. Exactly. They're not going to change. But they're not going to say, oh, I'm going to sell less and make have, less money. Like, no, they're <laughs> no. going to sell more, make more money, and charge and more. And, and that's why we, as the Western world, have to change our mindset so that we don't have to consume as much so they don't produce as much. You get what I'm saying? I, I fully get what you're saying. What, uh, what, what our party really wants to promote and send out there, why we're being called climate deniers because we won't jump on the whole Paris agreement and everything is uh, I think a great a great example is Tesla you look at Tesla mm-hmm. takes all the patents away from the work that he's the science that he's put up right. allows people to open up these patents other car companies can take these patents make electric cars and start competition in the industry once there's competition in the industry I don't know if any of you guys have noticed more Teslas in the last year than we knew than there were yeah. 8 years a ago lot on the road, more, but there's right. a lot more on the road a lot more Teslas. well there's a lot more affordable, affordable Teslas yeah. that's what that's I was average. about to get at as the competition yeah. increases you have to dr- bring the price down as the price get decreases on something like a Tesla when you go to buy a car if all of a sudden the Tesla is within the realm of what you were going to pay a lot of people would prefer to make that choice yeah. 100% and then you go, and then you see a movement. A lot of testers on the street. This is what naturally makes the world a better place. Running on these right. electronic things, you could say the same thing. Uh, Twenty years ago, when they first developed the LED light, if you were to walk into somebody's house and tell them, "Listen, I have a light bulb for you. It's going to last you a hundred times what this one does, but it costs you fifty times the amount or seventy-five times the amount." Nobody's going to say I'm spending 50 times the price on a light bulb. Not a chance. I can't do it. But if you get the science down to the point where that technology is an economic alternative to what the people are already spending and they can see the use of the good in it, then they'll mm-hmm. make the decision themselves. You don't have to force it. You don't have to have a carbon tax where you force your people to do something and ultimately it does no good in the end of the day. Yeah. You make the alternative economically viable for the everyday user. Man, we could we could ban plastic straws here. We could ban them in San Francisco. We could do it all in North America. But if they don't ban plastic straws or one-use plastics in China, it's not going to change a huge... And I'm not saying we're not doing something good. We will be doing something good. But yeah. the, it's important to understand the difference being made. Whereas there will be no forcing them to make that change. But if you can walk into any of their houses and propose to them a, a paper straw and say it lasts the same amount of time, it's going to cost you the same amount of money and it's not made with petroleum. You're not putting this in the system. You're not putting it in the ecosystem afterwards. <laughs> Everybody's going to jump on board. Nobody has a problem with that. I, but it's the economic cost to a lot of these alternatives that is just way behind the game right now, especially on a larger level. On a big scale, the, the green alternatives are way are not cost efficient. They're way more expensive than the average thing. But if we can get yeah. them down to being less expensive, the world itself is going to make the move. There will be a movement happening. Nobody's denying climate change. But No. I think we have to be very careful, and I agree with Jamali in this case, that we can't be hypocrites to say to China and places like India, oh, you guys should stop polluting. You guys, we have to be tough on them when, again, we were dumping all our trash for hundreds of years on them for them to process. That's why um, the country, uh, Philippines, the Philippines got into a big tussle with Canada because Canada left all their garbage, Mm. like three tankers full of garbage in their country, and the president said, no, you take your take your garbage back we're not we're not dealing with it and it went this whole thing went on for years and i don't know how long that garbage been there but it was well over like two but that's the whole point do you see how do you see how i personally think like it's one thing to blame but we ourselves uh, we don't even deal with our own waste disposal that's to me is is crazy 
I think trying to point the finger of blame is pretty useless it's, at no, the end no, of the no, day anyways. It's, it's about, just about, but there are certain areas where you can try to focus no, no, but we, but we should have a better going. way because we should have a better way. We should, first of all, waste less. We, yeah. we need to change the model that we have here in the Western world. Our wants are endless. And as long as our wants exist, these people are going to produce. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying in terms of a lot of these people produce shit they can't afford and we will buy. Every year, every year there's a new iPhone, there's a new Samsung that's coming out and we're just consuming it. The new Jordans, there's new everything. New clothes, whatever it is, and it's coming from there. If we didn't have the high demand, that's more a problem with free market than mm. no, no, it's, else but, that you're talking about. But it's also consumption. We consume yeah. a lot, and they produce what we want. Mm-hmm. So if we could manage our like, that's also being us being obviously not marketed as much. Too, it's a big diff. It's a it's a it's a yeah. plethora of issues that come that combine and creates this big monster. But I also think that we have to be understanding of as well as our role in it. Yeah, the their bigger contribution of CO two emit gas, but it's because of our wants. Most of it is because of our wants. Yeah, because I think what what you're getting into mm-hmm. now is more so the psychological side of things, outside of what the government can do. Because so long as people want things and they can afford to get those things, they will buy those things. And and, and as a business owner, if you can if you can exactly. build your product at a cheaper rate at X place and make more money off that product per sale, you're going to do it. And right, but I mean. When I like this ties back into what I was saying earlier in terms of protectionism. Like you see that happen in South Korea, for years they they invested in uh, Hyundai, that's their brand, mm-hmm. and they protect it. You want to get a BMW, it's gonna cost you seven times the price. So only a few people get it. Like we have to build our own economy. They did the same thing with Samsung. Samsung's mm-hmm. a very affordable brand there, but they protect their market, whatever their whatever their country is innovative in, they protect it. I think here in Canada is like a very much. We want to practice the free market scale and come in and, you know, welcome to everybody. But we have to have something to so that our economy could sit on. Mm. And we have some aspects of it. But, like, even with the oil sands right out in Alberta, how much of our oil actually comes from there? Very little. Yeah, it's very sitting very in the little. ground. We're importing it from the Southeast. Thank you. And, yeah. That that's that's like the problem, right? And the amount of billions. I actually, I actually liked uh, when Justin Trudeau said... Uh, I didn't enjoy him buying the pipeline when he campaigned that it was going to be privately built. But once he did actually have it, at one point he said, I'm going to build the pipeline and I'm going to take the money from the pipeline and invest it into green technologies and finding green technologies. And hearing that, I said, you know what? Now that's that's reasonable. That's a good idea. This guy's talking some real <coughs> sense. A, because that's the kind of money you're going to need to explore these green technologies oh, first. Like, yeah, put absolutely. it on the table that the, the pipeline is the only way to bring in the kind of money you would need to explore those right. things. But then I looked at it a bit deeper and I was like, yeah, but you haven't even cracked the soil on your pipeline. No. Which means this plan that you just proposed is like, what, 10 years away? Like not, not even close to ever happening. So you won't even start in these green technologies because you don't have the money for it. So basically not a plausible solution. I prefer, I think right now, Max's solution of scaring it, steering it, like I tried to say, to, to the private sector to give us some alternatives that will make us make the decision ourselves instead of trying to tax the average Canadian which I don't think is going to solve anything. And it has to be affordable, like you said. And I think that's something that's really, really... That's it. I went, so I was sitting in on a debate in the NDG. I'm also working on the EDA uh, in NDG for their side, for the People's Party. I went to a debate, and all the parties were there, and somebody I've never met before, a person from the audience, got up and asked... The Green Party was touting all night about how great they're doing in certain other countries in terms of their green aspects. Sure, I agree. I wish we could do better in certain aspects. 
and they, he mentioned Norway in specific was doing great. He was talking about getting rid of zero, zero fossil fuels, using no fossil fuels whatsoever. And they said that if elected day one, they're going to start eliminating 100% the use of fossil fuels in Canada. Somebody came up and asked, they brought it up. I'm really glad they did because I didn't realize it. When I first heard it out of the green guy's mouth, I said, hey, sounds like a good thing. I hear the question was, I'm glad you brought up Norway and the fact that they don't use fossil fuels. Their average price per kilowatt of electricity, I think it was right now, is roughly nine times the price of ours. Yeah. So the average Canadian cannot see a $60 bill turn into a $500 bill. There you go. Do you think this is a reasonable ask of the average Canadian in order to further your agenda of carbon dioxide emissions? And the Green Party looked him right in the eye and said yes. He said yes, 100%. This is a small thing that we have to give up in order to make some serious differences in the climate change. And I'm saying they're like... I don't know who no you're talking go to, but I can't afford five hundred dollars <laughs> just to find out that that in you you gave this you're gonna you gave the speech in nineteen ninety two you're giving it again you're taking more money from me and thirty years from now you're probably gonna give me the same spiel and and try to take it away from me more like what's it's going on it's a hustle, here? bro. I keep yeah. saying it. It's a hustle. But to hear the Green Party directly say when the numbers were figured, like yes, that is not even relevant to us. We're going forward with our plan on green and and basically your pocket has does not matter. <laughs> like how how am I going to get up and vote for you? I want to say like ah, I'm green, like I'm happy like with the environment, idea, this and that. But I look at what you just said. To me. How can I honestly get up and not, vote for you? It's not sound to the average Canadian citizen who's going to hear it. that. And then we say, uh, listen, I, I I see what you're proposing. Would you mind if we do a little bit of a cost benefit analysis and what's going on? And oh, he's a climate denier. Don't talk to him. It's like uh, I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not seeing great alternatives out of the other parties right now. I think for a while we've been stuck picking the, the best of the worst. Yeah. I hope I presented you a couple interesting food for thoughts today. That'll Just the last question, though. You guys are planning to do something about the minimum wage? Because cost of living is going up across the country. You guys are... Or are gonna we have no direct... Huh? We have, <laughs> literally took my last question. We have no direct uh, position as it sounds, or not that I know of that he's made directly on it. Uh, I don't know if it's on his agenda to look at or not. I really don't. I wish I had an answer and I could tell you directly, but I really don't know if it's on his agenda or not. Uh, it's funny, though, earlier today I was uh, reading up a little bit. I wish I had the guy's name. He's a really renowned economist. I think he was working with Harvard, but I'm not sure. And he was talking about how if you really want to raise up your minimum wage, you really have to have a conversation about the economics behind your immigration system. Right. Because if your minimum wage is the entry level, and it's we're talking the skills, the entry level, right. you can't be constantly flooding the market with more entry employees. <laughs> if you're constantly flooding the market with options to keep things paying, how, why would that minimum wage go up? And it's not something that I'm backing 100%. It's not something I'm all over, but it's something that I was listening to in, in ec economists talk about it today. And like, he, he didn't sound wrong. I'll look more into it, but uh, he brought up a good argument. The I don't have a position for the People's Party on, on raising it directly. If he comes out with one, I'll let you guys know what it is. But I think what I like about our leader is step one is going to be taking a long, hard look at it. What about housing issues? Because, I mean, we see every summer here, at least in Montreal, the homelessness rate goes up a certain percentage or even just property maintenance Homeless and all June this. and July, man. I'm going to sound like a real jerk coming back to immigration, but when we receive mass amount of people, they're not, they're not diving into Saguenay-Lac-Saint-Jean and Abitibi-Témiscamingue. 
No. They're oh. coming to Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, yeah. and you we're seeing a housing crisis, and, right. and prices are skyrocketing. It's another case of supply and demand. No, no, but it's also an abuse of... Uh, There's a lot of other things, things going right, on, yeah. I agree 100%, but, right. but with, with our supply and demand the way it is, I don't see... But it's, what, what I'm also saying is that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of empty places, just that I feel like the cost of housing right now is exponentially growing on basis that I've never seen before. And it I is, think but I, I moved out in June. I think when, right when I moved out, the, the houses in NDG were like at zero and renting was at less than 1% of availability. Um, I don't think, well, there is, there's a lot of vacancy. It's there's just a lot of vacancy. affordable vacancy. Is affordable the vacancy is the problem. Because you, you don't want to rent, you don't want to rent uh, a three and a half for a thousand four hundred dollars. Like mm-hmm. who, who's making a salary that can, no, in that, that sense, that? and i I couldn't agree more. I fully agree. I, I wish I had a more solid position to take uh, that I could take directly from the platform. But I think even looking into that, I would look at it directly and start to wonder how much is the, if we're talking about a housing problem in rural Quebec or in Quebec, how much is that an issue of the average BC person or the average Alberta person? And in that sense, should it be their tax dollars that are paying towards the solution or should this be a Quebec John thing, a provincial thing, like you said, should it be? Well, I think it's. Prov- I think. I, I think. I think it's a shared. If if it's a problem, we know it's a problem. It's definitely a shared. Well, I mean, we see we see it across the board, right? We see what's going on in BC. Toronto is approaching a bubble. Montreal is not far behind. I think we, it's something. As much as I think it, you're right, it should be shared. But I think the provincial government should have a a level uh, position to impose changes mm-hmm. or put in legislation to. Make sure that housing is affordable, especially in these large cities. Mm-hmm. Like no one's like when your visitors come, they're not going to Abitibi, Teniskaming. Mm-hmm. Coming to Montreal, and if the, you know you're coming to a place full of homelessness, it also affects on the quality oh, yeah. of uh, mm-hmm. of life within the city areas of Toronto, Montreal, uh, wherever, Vancouver, and other places. I think that's something that should be addressed because. Definitely. Well, I think I think the most uh, in terms of the PPC and the most natural way that we can overcome that that's equal to all Canadians is doing our part to lower the federal tax put that difference directly back into your pocket so as an individual you can make the decision whether you want to go to your grocery cart whether you want to go to a bigger house whether you want to go to a new car at least the money's in your pocket and you get to decide what you're going to do with it but would you be lowering this before getting rid of the deficit or after Uh, the deficit we plan on the numbers we looked at, we think we can balance the deficit in two years, which is dr- very much faster than all the other parties put together, and as of two years, be able to drastically reduce the taxes for the uh-huh. Canadian. Cool, cool. I see. All in right. reference, uh, Justin Trudeau's planning north of $10 billion deficits for four years. The Conservatives can't plan uh, to balance it within one term. They're hoping two terms, but they said right off the bat, maybe not. That could change. Uh, Greens and NDP... I, I don't even think they put numbers on the platforms that they put together or, or crunch the numbers to what they actually <laughs> tell people they, they want to do. Because as far I look at a lot of it and economically doesn't really make sense. But uh, really appreciate you guys having me. Really look, yeah, man. hope I open some eyes. Hope everybody that listens to this knows that there's a new party on the table called the People's Party. Really hope everybody tunes into the national leaders debate on October 7th and 10th, I believe. That's where you get to see the leaders of each the party go at it against each other. Should be interesting. Definitely. And there's a vote coming up on October 21st, so everybody should get out there and make their voices heard. Whether you agree with me or disagree, go out there and put it down on the ballot. It's good, man. It's not. Yeah, it, man. Like yep. I said, I'm happy that you came through, and 
we were very happy to give you this platform to just talk about your party because I know a lot of people may have heard of the people's party but don't know essentially what is going on with them. Like I said, like even for myself, the bit I heard, I wanted you to just come in and just, you sell it to me. Like you give it to me and let me, from what you tell me, I'll go from there, you know? And honestly, like, I feel like you've answered everything we wanted to know from you. You didn't shy away from anything. You did what you had to do today, man. So I appreciate that. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate Any it too. Any last thoughts from you guys? No, man. I, 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 I can't be a hypocrite and say go out and vote. It's not my thing. But <laughs> I guess do what you got to do. I can't say go out and vote. And like I, I tell people all the time, look, I don't care who you vote for. Just go out and vote, yeah, man. man. Do what's best for you, your family, and your future, man. Yeah, man. It was good that you came through. Appreciate it. We don't agree, but you know what? You have to listen to everyone. You have to listen to every point of view. That's what counts. Right. Appreciate the time. Uh, yeah, man. Anytime. So, everybody that's in the live stream, thank you guys for watching. And uh, to those who gave us questions, we appreciate that so much. As always, you know, you guys can catch us on Instagram and on Twitter at uh, Don't Be Mad Pod and on the Facebook group. It's a Don't Be Mad Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week. Take Peace. care, everyone. We out. Love is love. Cheers. Cheers.